This is Misrepresent Behind the Face of Fierce Woman. Happy spring, fierce listeners. After a winter hiatus, the bears are back from hibernation, and so is misrepresent behind the face of fierce woman. I'm your host, Charlene Sayo, and for the very first episode of the spring season, I'm very excited to share my conversation with Cairo-based artist and art historian Bahia Shahab, who gained international recognition during the Arab Spring Revolution in 2011 when her protest street art and graffiti went viral. Not only did Bahia share how she got involved with the demonstrations in Cairo, but how she now sees herself and her art as a participant and mediums for social change. And also on this episode, I've got music by DJ Rupture, Tres Tristes Tangos, and Tri Tachion for your musical listening pleasure. Coming up, we've got Women Hurrying History featuring jazz legend Billie Holiday, whose birthday is tomorrow, April 7th. The Strange Fruit songstress would have turned 101 years old. But before Women Hurrying History and to wrap up the speedy intro, we'll take a big band music break with Tri Tachion's track, Little Lily Swing. Thank you. 
A moment in history. Her story. Women hurrying history. When Eleanor Fagan was a young child growing up in Philadelphia during the 1920s, she read romance stories, dreamed of being a singer, and watched silent movies starring Billy Dove. Born to poverty, 13-year-old Eleanor joined her mother in Harlem, New York, who was working numerous temporary, low-paying jobs to support herself and Eleanor. Shortly after her 14th birthday and inspired by actress Billy Dove, Eleanor adapted the stage name Billie Holiday and began singing in famous Harlem nightclubs such as Mexico's, Covans, and the Alhambra Bar and Grill. At 20 years old, Billie signed with Brunswick Records and released the track What a Little Moonlight Can Do, which catapulted her career and quickly became known as Lady Day. Southern trees bear strange fruit blood on the leaves and blood at the root black bodies swinging in the southern breeze strange fruit Throughout her career, Billie recorded numerous jazz classics such as God Bless the Child, Lady Sings the Blues, I Cried for You, Miss Brown to You, Don't Explain, The Man I Love. But it's strange fruit that Billie Holiday is most identified with. The controversial song which addressed the lynching of African Americans in the American South penetrated the consciousness of white America at the end of the 1930s. Hailed as one of the greatest jazz singers of all time, Billie Holiday defined the genre and to this day her appeal transcends all musical tastes. Billie Holiday was born on April 7, 1915 and died on July 17, 1959 at the age of 44. A moment in history, her story, women hurrying history.
Welcome back, fierce listeners, to Misrepresent Behind the Face of Fierce Woman. You just heard the track Takasim by DJ Rupture. And now for my favorite part of the show, my interview with Bahia Shahab. Bahia Shahab is a Lebanese-Egyptian artist, designer, and art historian. She's the Director of Visual Cultures at the American University in Cairo. Bahia's artwork has been exhibited in China, Denmark, France, Germany, Italy, Lebanon, the United Arab Emirates, and the United States. In 2015, Bahia and her street art was featured in the documentary Nefertiti's Daughters. She's a 2012 TED Fellow and a 2016 TED Senior Fellow. Bahia was selected as one of BBC's list of 100 women for two consecutive years in a row and is recognized as one of UNESCO's 70 most accomplished women speakers. In February of this year, Bahia was in Vancouver for the week-long TED Talk conference, and even though we were emailing each other quite frequently, we never had the chance to meet. In the end, it all worked out, and I spoke with Bahia over Skype where she spoke about protest art, documentation, memory, the banality of her own art, and why beauty in art is a Western luxury. And lastly, due to poor internet connections, parts of the interview may be distorted. Hello, Bahia. Thank you so much for joining me here on Misrepresent. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. I would like to ask you first and foremost about your project, A Thousand Times No, The Visual History of Lam Alif. What inspired you to study the word no the, in Arabic and its grand history? I, I was invited to participate in an exhibition in 2010 um, commemorating 100 years of Islamic art in Europe. And um, uh, the curators wanted me to produce work that used the Arabic language and the Arabic script. And to me, displaying for an audience in Europe who really cannot relate to the beauty of the the Arabic language or comprehend its subtleties, I thought that as a message, I think if I had one thing I wanted to say, it would be no. So in Arabic, to confirm the no, we say no and a thousand times no. And this is where the idea to collect a thousand different no's from different Islamic and Arab uh, periods in the past 1,400 years uh, started. Wow, that's very, very powerful. So have you gotten and gathered all thousand no's yet? Yes, it's, um, the installation was on display in September of 2010 at the Haus der Kunst in Munich. And um, with the installation, I published a book. And the book documents every single letter where it came from, who's the patron, where it was produced, um, uh, what, what was the medium and the date. I understand then your project, it became a little bit more public because it, it was an installation in Germany, but it became a public knowledge around the world in 2011 when the revolution in Cairo broke out. Can you talk about how you got involved in that and how and why? How did your art get involved in the revolution in Cairo? The revolution started, like many Egyptians, I was simply watching on my TV. And like the rest of the people around the world, I was not actively participating in the revolution. I, 
I'm an, um, I mean, I teach at a university, I'm a historian, I'm also an artist, but I never thought that I would uh, go down to demonstrate. Um, I think nine months into the revolution, I, um, I mean, we realized that nothing really changed and, um, and that more people need to go down on the street. And this is when I felt that my installation or these thousand no's were like ammunition that I could use and add messages to them. So I started using them and spraying them on the street and with different messages, no to violence, no to killing, no to humiliation, no to... So the different knows that even though I had been documenting the revolution for nine months at a, as a historian, there was a point in time where I felt that I really... There, there are moments in history when you have to choose between being a spectator or an active participant. And I think um, I think it's... Seeing all that, um, I mean, all these people getting killed on the street uh, um, was not something easy to to just watch and just say this has nothing to do with me because it was this could happen this could happen to any of us to my children it could happen to me it could happen to any of my friends so you come to a point where you really need to choose whether to sit and watch or to actively participate and be part of the change okay and how has your has your life changed has it impacted you significantly since your involvement i think you i think you you're never the same you 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 leave another you leave another person behind after the revolution i I, I'm a completely different person. Uh, my priorities are different. My the way I look at life is completely different. In terms of my practice, I mean, I used to display inside the white cube, and I really feel liberated to be able to just spray on the street now. Oh it's, wow! Um, I think it's much more rewarding. Yeah, it's completely. It's very rewarding to to feel that you can actually change your work on the street with any anybody passing by that you're not uh, limited to a cube or, or a curator or or the gaze of uh, the the educated elite which I respect and uh, and I admire but I really want I'm really interested in changing the minds of the masses and making their life better and if any work I can do can help me push towards that then then this is where I find my happiness now, one of the images that you've stenciled is a blue bra, and I know it's an Arabic script, but beneath it, it looks like a foot. Can you talk about the story behind this image? It's very, very striking. Yeah, it's the, I mean, this is just one, one of the incidents. I mean, we've seen hundreds, if not thousands, of, of these violations being, being taken against civilians. Unfortunately, it's still the case. In um, that specific incident, a veiled woman was on the street and she was harassed. She was act actually attacked by um, the military and, and they stripped her abaya of her body and it revealed her blue bra and um, um, the, the soldier was stepping on her with his foot. So this symbol of the foot that 
I decided to spray actually reads um, Long Live a Peaceful Revolution. Wow. So um, the, the, I just simplified, simplified the act and added a small message, not to stripping the people and long live a peaceful revolution. Wow. Thank you for that. Because I saw the imagery and it really is, it's quite brutal to watch. And this is something that's happening all the time then. We are not really demonstrating anymore under the new regime, but it is happening in the prisons. It is happening uh, uh, by um, the people who are being kidnapped, the intellectuals who are being silenced. So unfortunately, it's still happening. Now, going back to the violence that inspired the blue bra, I wanted to ask in terms of you know, the, the revolution that happened, not just in Egypt, but around the Arab world during the Arab Spring, there was a really strong emergence of women street artists. In Egypt, it's, you know, yourself, uh, Mira Shihade, Aya Tarek, and Hendi Kira, who's made international headlines. And for somebody who lives in Canada, I mean, I was also very captivated by the emergence of of women like yourselves who were out there on the street and and really engaged with street art um, on a very political level. So can you can I ask you, if you look back at that time, just a few years ago, despite the dangers that were happening at the time publicly, especially to women, why do you think women such as yourselves also took the risk to engage in this kind of, of art? I think there was a strong emergence of humanity. It's not just women. I mean, as humans, we went down to the street, and not just because of our sex. Yes, it's, we are women, and we, we did talk about women's issues in, in our work, but it's really any human being would have went down to the street. I really don't like to highlight the fact that we were women only, but there were many brilliant men also working, and there were many brilliant women also working. They were demonstrating, they were helping the wounded, they were so, women and men. But because we were equal, we, we acted as such. During that period, everybody, women and men, considered themselves responsible for the future of our country. So not just as women, but as human beings who are concerned about the future of the country and the future of the people living in it. I want to read a quote from you um, in an interview that you did a few years ago. You said, in our case, we're not even trying to instill beauty. We're not yet up to that level. We're only trying to communicate ideas to society about change because we believe in change. Now, there's that common notion and agreement that art sometimes is solely about aesthetic pursuits, that it should be disconnected from social movements or, or political agendas, but that it should only just be concerned about beauty and beautifying the world. But yet this, this one quote, this very powerful quote that you said, dispels that or contradicts that and I think grounds it in this moment in history. I think it's the privilege of developed nations. Beauty is the privilege of developed nations. Uh, and I think our nations are still seeking an identity. And when you're seeking an identity, you are still fighting for basic rights. And that will shape that identity.
So to me, this is, this is where, where we are humanly. Um, we are still trying to find a vo voice. You need a voice before you can sing, right? Yeah. So we are trying to, we are still, we are still learning about democracy. We are still exploring um, um, the possibilities. So that does not negate the fact that there are artists who are creating brilliant work coming out of the Arab world. There are uh, people who are able to, to produce beautiful things. They are quite rare, but they do exist. But to me, but my work is not concerned with that now. I'm really concerned about securing uh, rights and using art as a platform for activism. Many artists are, do not find that to be their concern, and I respect that. I even admire that. I just feel too guilty at this point in history to produce artwork that is simply beautiful to be admired when the people can't, uh, don't have access to clean water. They can't put their children to schools. We have have high levels of illiteracy. Um, we don't have access to good education. Uh, women don't get equal pay or equal rights by law. So really, I personally, I feel too guilty to not to stand by and not do anything about that. So if my work can help change that, change that, then then this is what I will be doing. Okay, thank you for that very powerful answer, Bahia. I really appreciate that. And one last question. You once said that your work is concerned with memory and historical documentation. Obviously, you're a historian, and that's, you know, what you're concerned with. Um, yet, you know, you're very much engaged with street and public art, which is very temporary. Um, it's very fleeting. It's very ephemeral. And when you engage in it, we know that it's not going to last forever, that it could be painted over quite quickly or destroyed, you know, just soon, at, like hours after it's been painted. So as a historian, how do you reconcile this contradiction? Because it's very intense. Every, every day I see things that are much, much more valuable than my work being destroyed around me all over the Arab world. Look at Syria. Look at what happened in Iraq. So every day we are surrounded by uh, events that destroy and ruin and erase our memory. So my work is absolutely insignificant. When you have thousand-year monuments uh, that are so amazing and that represent so much of our culture being destroyed so savagely. Uh, a painted uh, street art is really something really stupid and banal. It's not, uh, it's not something that, uh, that is worthy of even uh, a flinch, you know, because really we are losing on daily basis. And then you have the internet. You have the internet. And we have photography so that so the work is documented and the idea is shared so it's really insignificant if it remains on the street or not the fact that it has been documented and and shared with the world online that gives it a, a new kind of life it's a new birth 
So what's coming up for you then in terms of what you're doing and your art? Are you still doing street art and public art right now? What's the future? So I, um, last year, I decided that I, I, I don't want to stop uh, doing street art. And since it's impossible for me to spray in Cairo now, I decided to start spraying in different parts of the world. So last year I sprayed in Freiburg and in uh, New Orleans. Um, I started spraying the no again because I think we're simply back where we started. So um, I'm spraying no all over the world where anywhere I can go, I'm spraying it. And I was luckily in Vancouver this year and this was my first stop where I sprayed several of my no no stencils there but I also started a new project in Canada and I'm really happy that it started there also in Vancouver I, I want to honor and celebrate the famous Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish so I, I started with with one of his quotes uh, one of his poems that that said that that roughly translates to um, um, it, the poem the the, the stanza reads uh, and it translates to stand at the corner of a dream and fight. Yeah, I, um, I, I will be spraying more and more nose around the world this year. So this is my, this is my plan for this year. Obahia, that is amazing. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
And that's it. We're at the end of the show. That little bit you just heard was Calderon Polka by Tres Tristes Tangos. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with artist and historian Bahia Shahab. For more information about Bahia and her work, please check out her website at the American University in Cairo at schools.aucegypt.edu forward slash FAC forward slash B-A-H-I-A-S-H-E-H-E-B. That's schools.aucegypt.edu forward slash FAC slash Bahia Shahab. You can listen to past episodes of Misrepresent at misrepresent.com and make sure to follow me on Twitter at just call me Shah for updates on future shows and guests. Intro and outro music by Emily Simone. Additional music by Stealing Orchestra and Rafael Genosio. DJ Rupture, Tres Tristes Tangos, the Arthur Pryor's band, Steve Combs, and Ben Sound Music. Fiercest thank you to my guest, Bahia Shahab. And of course, thank you, fierce listeners and supporters. Tune in next week for another fierce episode featuring another fierce woman. This is Miss Represent, Behind the Face of Fierce Woman.